0: Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live for Jesus. Well, good evening. Merry Christmas. Christmas. Welcome to our living room. We have the opportunity to unpack these scriptures, sing some more songs, pray, and light some candles. We've been taking this entire month what has been called Advent in church history to prepare ourselves spiritually for the Christ Mass that is about to come in less than 12 hours. And it's a time of spiritual preparation to reflect, to reflect on the meaning of the coming of Christ To consider that first coming of Christ, to prepare ourselves for his return, the second coming. And I know many of you are guests here tonight. You were not with us for the month, nor were you with us this morning. But we did touch on, we unpacked verses one through seven that Pastor Tyler just read to us about the birth event, Mary, Joseph, and the babe in a manger, and we actually had a lesson, a takeaway, and I promised a two-part message. Don't worry, you'll get it. You don't have to come to the first one. You can't make it there. It's gone. But to give you the bottom line takeaway from this morning's message was this, that God is not in a hurry. Generations came and went as Colin Trout shared they they hoped and expected the arrival of the promised messiah generation after generation it felt like god was late but god is not in a hurry he's never late always on time and exactly as promised so we saw in verses 1 through 7 several Old Testament prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ fulfilled. And Luke writes this for us that we might be assured of the person of Jesus and the promises of Jesus, and that Jesus is not only for the Jews, but Jesus is for all the world as well. He is never in a hurry, never late. Always on time and exactly as promised. And then here's the second part for tonight. But not as expected. We look back and we see he fulfilled prophecy to a T. Over 300 prophecies concerning the first coming of Messiah. Fulfilled in one man. Jesus of Nazareth. But if you lived during the days, you likely missed it. Because you weren't looking for the fulfillment in the way in which he came. Not as expected. To get a running start in before we get into the, the next text, let me just reread the, the last two verses to understand context. While they were there, Bethlehem, that is, the time came for her. That's Mary to give birth and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn the 2nd century apologist and philosopher Justin Martyr cites that they were that Jesus was actually born in a cave so that's outside of the scriptures but it's really close to the event, doesn't matter, we don't have to argue over it, um, but one thing we do know, that the birth of Jesus was shrouded in obscurity, in poverty, in isolation, and even rejection. It's a very humble coming of Messiah. In fact, Christ Jesus, the Savior and Lord, the Creator of the universe, it, the way I, I, I see this, the way I like to say it, He slipped quietly into our world from the dark and humble margins of society, not the center of it. We'll come back to this in a moment. Let's get into the, the text, starting in verse 8. It says, That in that same region, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And that is intentional. We're supposed to imagine the scene. It is dark, and they're in the wilderness. According to the Mishnah, which is Jewish oral tradition, it's likely that these flocks that they're watching over were intended as temple sacrifices or perhaps being raised for Passover. We can't be sure, but consider this. Shepherds watching over Passover lambs in the fields by night were about to meet the once for all and forever Passover lamb for the entire world. Again, we can't be sure... More certain is the fact of the lifestyle and position in society of these shepherds. These shepherds were most certainly marginalized outcasts of society. They lived in the dark and humble margins of society, not the center of it. How do we know? How do we know? Well, there's no reason to believe that these particular shepherds were any more wicked than any other people on the earth at the time. However, as a class of individuals in first century Israel, we know a couple of things about shepherds or the shepherd class. First off, they were considered unclean because their job kept them ceremonially impure. Secondly, not all, but as a group, they often confused thine with mine, meaning the five-finger discount, shoplifting. A lot of shepherds were thieves. They took stuff that they found. They said finders, keepers, losers, weepers. And they were known in the first century as these kinds of men and women they were considered unreliable and they were not allowed to give legal testimony that's who these people were rough and imperfect imperfect men working the graveyard shift some of you know what that's like the night shift they had to They'd lose their jobs. They were the bottom of the rung. The motif that we see here is obscure men living on the margins of society, working the graveyard shift in the nighttime, the night watches. This motif of darkness is repeated throughout the Bible. And it's a symbol not only of human sin and sinfulness, but also the consequences that it brings, lostness and helplessness. These guys are out on the edges of society. They're vulnerable. They're outcasts. And it's in the midst of such darkness, lostness, and powerlessness that we read the next verse. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. To these guys on the edges, on the margins, in the darkness, comes a great manifestation of the glory of God through an angelic messenger. And this motif of light and darkness is more than just The physics that we think about, photons of light, or the lack thereof, throughout the scriptures. And in fact, even sandwiched in this account, this narrative of the birth and announcement of Jesus of Nazareth, we have two statements. One is by Zachariah, the father of John the Baptist, when he is told that he's going to father a son, and he doubts, and then he becomes silent for oh, at least nine months. But as soon as John is born, and he declares that his name is John, his mouth is open once again, and he becomes, begins to, to glorify and praise God in song. And in this song, he says, because of the tender mercies of our God, whereby the sun shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. That is before this account. And then after, when Jesus is presented in the temple, 40 days old, in a wise old man named Simeon, a prophet, if you will, Sees and beholds the Son of God, he too breaks into a song of praise and says these words: My eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. Light in darkness, more than just physical properties and photons, but an object lesson. And in fact, this whole idea of light coming into darkness, man, it just spans from Genesis to Revelation and the glory of God coming, God displaying his goodness and his holiness is all over. I'll just cherry pick a couple for you this evening. Exodus 24, 17. Um, As they're at Mount Sinai, it says, now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire. On the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. And then in Ezekiel one twenty eight. Ezekiel has this, this vision of, of the heavens and the throne room of God. And it says, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud of the days, day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face. And then in Revelation, still future, second advent, that for which we are waiting and hoping and praying, John says, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb, and it's a A portion of this kind of glory that comes with the angelic messenger and lights up the fields as bright as noonday sun. The glory of the Lord. And the shepherds were terrified. Why are they terrified? Well, for one, it's a manifestation of the supernatural. That's kind of creepy to just be honest. We don't live in that world. We don't see through that veil. But they did. Secondly, a sense of great vulnerability. They've got staffs and clubs. That's it. They're terrified. They're vulnerable. But also, I believe that there's an awareness of their own moral imperfection and wretchedness before someone so holy. Where do I get that? Well, I get that from Isaiah himself, the prophet. He had been a man of God. He had been a prophet of God. He had been a minister and a preacher for many years. When one day in the year that King Uzziah died, he says, I saw the Lord. And he was terrified. Why was Isaiah terrified? He tells us, Isaiah 6 5, I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. He's terrified. And these guys are not prophets, they're ruffians. And yet they see a manifestation of the glory of God, and they are terrified. What might he do to them? Let's look and see. Verse 10. The angel said to them, Fear not. Fear not. Stop freaking out. For behold, I bring you good news. This is the word in the Greek, eangolizo, uh, where we get the word evangelize. It means gospel, it means good news. It says, Good news, the gospel. I bring you the gospel of great joy that will be for all the people. See, God was not out to get them. He was not out to punish them or snuff them out as they had feared. But instead, God was honoring these humble, lowly, marginalized ruffians. God was blessing them and doing them good. Blessing them as the first recipients of the announcement of the arrival of Messiah. And this is the announcement. The angel says, for unto you is born in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude Of heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The word for multitude there is plethos, where we get the word plethora, it's thousands or even millions. We have these other words, heavenly host. The word for host is stratia, it's where we get the idea of a band of soldiers, it's a military word. So think of this, an army, thousands of angelic warriors. But instead of waging war against sinful humanity, they're announcing peace and praising God. Not death, destruction, and judgment. And notice they say, peace among men of his good will. The angels are saying that God, God will bring peace for those Whom he favors. The emphasis here is on grace and mercy. The grace and mercy of God, not the worthiness of the persons. That God is going to choose to place his favor on them. Peace here, the peace that is promised is peace between God and man. Man's greatest problem is not the economy. It's not the marriage. Our greatest problem is our separation between God. That has come by our rebellion against his authority. And yet the angel is announcing peace. Peace. An opportunity for peace between us and a holy God. Now to jump back into the narrative, it says here in verse 15 that when the angels went away from, the, from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to, to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, when they saw it, they made known the saying that they had been told Concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherd told them. But Mary treasured up all these things. Pondering them in her heart. The idea is that she's putting the parts and pieces of, of Gabriel's announcement. Now she's given birth without ever having consummated her marriage to Joseph. And now this this miraculous, these, these outcasts, these night shift workers are coming in from the fields to tell her What they saw and experienced and heard. And she's putting the pieces together and treasuring them up in her heart. And then the shepherds returned to the night shift. Glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And then we read at the end of eight days when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So after they see and witness and explain what they'd experienced, and they see this child, the shepherds themselves become the first messengers to proclaim the arrival of Messiah. They become the original evangelists, returning to their flocks, glorifying and praising God much as the angel had done and the angels had done before them. Now, let's review the big idea from both this morning and tonight. God's not in a hurry, but he's never late. Always on time and exactly as promised. Final phrase, what we just learned about, but not as expected. The infinite creator God of the universe The one to whom all glory and adoration and worship is due, who has been dishonored for generations, instead of coming down heavy and saying, I'm fed up, I'm done with it, you will bow, slips quietly through the dark and humble margins of society, not the center of it. He's not from the dark and humble margins, y'all. He's from heaven itself. And the earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. He made it all. He owns it all. He is the Lord of all. And yet he comes so humbly. Jesus demonstrated the humility of the Father. And in so doing the Father would greatly honor him. The Father would take him who humbled himself and place him in the center of his glorious favor and greatest affection. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the church at Philippi said these words, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Great theological statement. We actually read about that in real time at his baptism. It's recorded by Matthew. Matthew 3.17 that when he comes up out of the water. Behold a voice from heaven said. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. The very character and nature of the father. The glorious, powerful, infinite God of the universe is also the humble God of the universe. Jesus comes humbly and God highly exalts him. Well, not only did Jesus humble himself, not as expected, right? Not only did he humble himself, but check this out. He chooses. He chose To manifest himself first and foremost to the humblest of all souls. The angel who announced the arrival of Messiah did not come to the Temple Mount. He did not come to to the high priest. He did not come to the elders of Israel or the Sanhedrin, what is called the council. He didn't even come to the faithful masses, but to the lowliest of all, those on the margins, the humble. So think about this. The greatest manifestation of his glory was given to the lowliest of men. Note, it was not their humble circumstances. Like poverty is not virtuous in and of itself. Being marginalized is not valorous, something to be lauded. Oh, you are marginalized. But it's the humility of heart, I believe, that was found in these humble, marginalized souls. It's the attitude. So you don't have to work the night shift and be an outcast to be a recipient Of the glory and the grace and mercy of God. All you have to do is acknowledge your moral imperfection. Your spiritual lostness and helplessness. The Apostle Paul said to his letter to the Romans, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Can you agree with that statement tonight? Hey, that's me. I am that man. Not only have I fallen short of the glory of God, no matter how hard I try to live up to it, whether as a Christian or a non-Christian, I can't do it. I've fallen short and I continue to fall short. I am morally and ethically bankrupt. This is who God is looking for. This, I believe, is at the heart of the great beatitude, at the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 2 Corinthians 8-9, I just love this on this evening in reflecting on the coming of Christ and what was going on. What was going on in the incarnation, and what does it mean for us? If only we would believe and receive him as our own Savior. This is what Paul says For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty. ...might become rich. Amen? God loves and invites everyone. The gospel is for everyone. His arms are open wide to everyone. But it's only those who understand their place... ...morally, ethically, spiritually... ...as being on the dark and humble margins... ...and receive Him... They are the ones who will be taken and placed in the center of God's glorious favor and divine love. You must humble yourself and admit your need. Here's the good news for everyone struggling tonight with a life of imperfection, shame, sinful past or even present. Addictions things that you would be terrified if they were discovered. If that's you, perfect. You're just who he came for. You're exactly the one that he leaves the 99 in the field and goes after and brings back in to the fold. But as he comes you must respond to him and say, yes, I am willing. Yes, I believe. Yes, I receive. Won't you do that tonight on this beautiful Christmas Eve? Won't you look to Jesus and say, I believe you came. I believe you lived a perfect life. I believe you performed miracles of every kind. I believe you were falsely accused and arrested you were tortured and crucified. I believe that you were crucified for the sins of the world, but specifically for my sins. And tonight I receive you as the forgiveness of my sins. Tonight won't you call on him and receive him. We're going to light some candles. So if you get those ready remember you hold them upright. lights are going to come down, the band's going to come up, I'm going to read to you some scriptures to hammer down on this idea, not only of light and darkness and the need for the Savior to come and bring his glory and his goodness, but also his kindness, mercy, grace, and love to every one of us. So if our candle lighters will come up and grab some fire, and you just wait And listen to these words, Isaiah nine two. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them has light shone. Isaiah thirty five. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the the Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Isaiah 40, verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Isaiah 60, verse 1 through 3 arise shine for your light has come and the glory of the lord has risen upon you for behold darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples but the lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you and nations shall come to your light and kings to bring the brightness of your right rising Finally, Matthew 11, from the mouth of Messiah himself, come to me, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.